0: Manyong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake in a resident Development Podcast. I'm your host, Darren. And with me today, I'm joined by two guests. First of all, from uh, a number of different podcasts, but most recently, he was a host for me on As If. It's Trevor Gibson. Hello, Trevor.
1: How are you doing?
0: And I also have Adam... Hello Adam. How are you? You got my name right. Today we're going to be covering episode 18 uh, Justice is Blind which was broadcast on the 21st of March 2004. It was broadcast slightly out of order because uh, they held back Missing Kitty and they broadcast that um, after as episode 18 basically um, when it was actually episode 16. Um, it's written by Abraham Higginbotham who has uh, written a couple of episodes before this I think. Um, And he will no. He's only directed. He's only written one episode before this. Um, and he will appear in season two because he plays uh, Gary, who uh, Job wants to demonstrate to his chair how it squeaks. So he insists on having Gary on his lap. Uh, and that is the writer of this episode. Uh, it's directed by Jay Chandrasekhar, who is better known as being one of the uh, Broken Lizard troupe. Uh, This is the final episode that he will direct of Arrested Development. This is the fourth, and this is his last one. So uh, I have a feeling a couple of years after this, he was directing Community and Chirk, so he'd kind of uh, moved on to directing stuff for NBC. Um, And I'm going to read you the summary, which goes as follows. While grappling with the dilemma of whether or not to open his father's case file, Michael discovers the truth about Maggie. And uh, we, once again, we get uh, the return of uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Maggie Liza. We also get the return of Amy Poehler as Job's wife. Of course, in real life, she was Job's wife at this particular time. I did not know that. Job's wife is the only name that she will ever have. They never, <laughs> they never reveal what her actual name is, which uh, I think is admirable. Uh, and of course, we also get uh, the return of... J- Judge Lionel Ping and uh, Barry Zuckercorn, both of whom, of course, were in the previous episode. This is actually the second half of a, a two part episode. The previous part finished with Maggie Liza asking Charith Cute Story if uh, sh- they had a case against the Bluth family um, because she'd given him an overview of the government's case to, to read, believing that he was a maritime lawyer. Um, and all of that is recapped in mm-hmm. the uh, previously on, essentially, uh, which follows the opening credits, which tells us about Michael and his uncomplicated one night stand, which finishes with him calling himself charith Cute Story. As Job had said, you know, he really had to work hard to bag this blind chick. <laughs> now, before we get into the episode, I just want to ask both of you um, and I'll start with Trevor. Did you watch Arrested Development when it was airing or did you catch up with it? Uh, later on down the line on DVD or on Netflix. And I'm going to guess, Trevor, due to your age, you probably didn't watch it when it was airing on Fox.
1: I did not. It was a show that I had heard a lot about, but I was too young whenever it was airing, and then I kind of put off watching it for a while, and then I finally watched the whole series in like a week on Netflix and uh, fell in love with it. It was really weird. One thing that was really weird, though, coming to it so much later, is that I watched BoJack Horseman, where Will Arnett plays the star. So anytime... I can't hear Job's voice without hearing BoJack, which is really weird, because since they're so radically different characters.
2: I was old enough uh, to watch it as it was on, um, but I did not, actually. I caught it maybe a few years after season three aired uh, just as like the, the package uh, came out on DVD. Um, I I saw, I caught an episode when it was on TV and it just, it it seemed weird. I mean, I think I saw, you know, something maybe in the middle of season one. Uh, So all the callbacks like didn't make sense. Uh, I just, it just kind of flew over my head at the time, but I gave it a chance Uh, binge watched maybe the first season uh, in about a weekend and I was hooked. And I I think I really benefited from binge watching it um, because it, um, a lot of the story made a little more sense. Uh, a lot of the callbacks um, I, were were more fresh in my memory. And uh, after the... Um, yeah, I, I completed the entire series, the, the first three seasons, in maybe just a couple of weeks.
0: Well, let's get into this episode, because we, we were already basically... Because of the first half of the episode... Uh, Which, of course, was called Alter Egos. We we're basically, which I think that title applied to um, Michael and Charith's cute story. But it also applies to um, Maybe. Um, And after we get the kind of recap of the whole Charith's cute story thing, we get brought up to speed on that. Um, We find out that George Michael has discovered that his cousin is living a double life pretending to be uh, her own twin. Uh, we see a flashback back to the previous episode where she's she's playing Shirley, uh, her alter ego. And this is where we find out that Shirley is dying. Um, in the previous episode, she coughed and uh, a kid yelled, someone get her a cupcake, which is always one of my favourite moments. <laughs> <laughs> because she seems to have come up with this, this, this way of getting money, but also getting cupcakes. You know, George Michael finds out here that Shirley is dying. And, um, he, you know, he says it's it's disrespectful for kids who actually have this and maybe says not a lot of kids have bs these days George michael says what does that stand for and maybe goes i don't know <laughs> it's bs and i think this is the kind of conclusion of the surely the storyline it, it like didn't last very long it's only like kind of like three or four episodes um but it's just a really odd way that maybe decided to get gigantic checks for some reason <laughs> um It's just, I I don't know, it's a a really odd kind of storyline. Towards the end of the episode, she'll manage to get a crowd to start chanting no more BS, which I feel like that's where they started and then they worked backwards to figuring out how they could get that joke into the show but yeah it's kind of an odd storyline i think the quote was something like uh yeah. you can't
2: get a you can't get a big big check if you're healthy um so that was kind of her <laughs> yeah. whole, uh yeah.
0: reasoning and then we we see that um job is still married to his wife the narrator tells us and this is again a little bit of a recap from the previous episode that he got married to a woman um in in the previous evening in a series of escalating dares, we see why Job could not break up with his wife. Where we get this flashback where Job's wife reveals that her parents are getting a divorce, and then she asks, "Why aren't you wearing that sweater I bought you?" And I love Will Arnett's reading of just because <laughs> he goes, oh, "Of course I like it," just because I like it doesn't mean I have to wear it. And I love his excuse: "I don't
2: wear everything I like every day." <laughs>
0: such a kind of weird kind of argument. Um, and then, of course, this means that the job insists that they don't get divorced. And of course, this is the start of a a, a joke that will go for a couple more episodes at least, where Job is wearing kind of very odd-looking sweaters, The like pastel yellow sweaters, and, and some some in the next couple of episodes, kind of some patterned ones as well. <laughs> so he's, it's really weird how he's he's kind of willing to you know do whatever he can to stay in this marriage. Um, And of course, you know, we'll find out like a year from now that he did not consummate it and he won't consummate it until uh, like literally the point at which he shouldn't consummate the marriage. (laughs) Yeah. So and then, of course, this is where we we get to kind of Lindsay's. I mean, I think the main the main plot, which will become more obvious as the episode goes on, obviously, is still Michael and Maggie from the previous episode. And then, of course, the title of the episode, uh, which will come into play. Um, with hilarious consequences. Um, and then obviously, you know, Job uh, and, uh, and the files, which were hinted at in the, on the next for the previous episode where we saw Tobias wearing Maggie's, uh, dressing gown and kind of, uh, using his cat like abilities, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is which which is funny because like his cat like abilities are essentially alluded to in that on the next and then in this episode we find out about the cat like abilities so it's it's a very kind of odd um just like Maggie not being blind was revealed in the previous episodes on the next um and that you know that's a rare case of something happening in on the next that's actually going to happen in this episode
2: yeah interesting decision for um, them to like, kind of spoil that um in the previous episode Um, but I guess you're, I mean, if if this is all taped as one episode and they just chopped it in half, um, you know, maybe that made sense.
0: I don't know. I mean, I think, I guess at this point you're kind of conditioned as a viewer, um, you know, like 17 episodes into the season to see those on the next and just think that they're just a a joke and then they're, they're not true. So maybe it was revealed because people would just think, oh, well, that's not true, Like that's just a joke just a funny joke at the end of the episode like what if the person who's been a blind lawyer wasn't actually a blind lawyer like that would be a kind of like a funny joke to play but then it turns out to be true in this episode um and this will happen a year down the line where there's another storyline involving maggie and they reveal an important plot point about it in the on the next and then it takes like 15 minutes into the next episode before everyone else catches up to that um but yeah it's an interesting choice that they did that um, and at the courthouse, we see Lindsay and this will be her storyline for this, which is the, the protesting of the 10 commandments, <laughs> uh, the granite 10 commandments. And we find out why she's, you know, she, she says that she's been very passionate about the separation of church and state, which leads to Michael saying, what are you going to do with them? And Lindsay goes, Oh, I don't know. Give them to a school, <laughs> which is such a great line. Uh, but we get a flashback to, uh, Lindsay, and her heel kind of breaks because she she walks into the uh, the Ten Commandments. And Lucille says, "Honey, they're just heels. They can only support so much weight." What a loving what a loving family this is.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, they're all horrible people. Uh, I love how Michael is like, you know, can we let can we let another family bring down Me. the Ten Commandments? And this this leads to one of the many kind of misquoting. I don't even know if it's misquoting because it's just kind of really weird kind of biblical type language. Um where, where where job is like uh you know going on about you love the Ten Commandments, he says, and yet you so conveniently forgot thou shalt protect thy father and honor him. <laughs> no one above him unless it beeth me, thy sweet Lord, <laughs> which I think has got to be a reference to um George Harrison, just by the way that he says it, but yeah i just I just love the kind of weird Misquoting, and of course, Michael is like, "I'm not sure that one made it down the mountain." Joke. This is actually my favorite line in the, the sh My favorite line in this episode was
2: just Job's delivery of that. Um, uh, something like, yeah. "I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt the Job voice here." Um, so bear with me, but it's something like, "Oh, so now you love the Ten Commandments?" It's just such a like, the, it's like such an accusatory. Like, I don't know. Uh, for some reason, um, that's just one of those lines where it's not inherently funny, but just Job's delivery and just um. I don't know the the sort of absurdity of it was just I uh, just
0: really tickled my funny bone on that one Part of the runner, I think in this episode is apart from the stuff with Job's wife and you know his sweaters, which kind of get increasingly crazy as this episode goes on, uh, we also get a little bit of rivalry between An young and Buster, um, and obviously we start to get some of the wrap up for the Shirley Fionke storyline here where um George Michael has like injured his shoulder or something. I like, I mean it wasn't that wasn't actually in the previous episode so I don't know when this happened This was this happened, happened off screen
2: this is... yeah this was a confusing part because they yeah. come home and suddenly George Michael's uh cat is, his arm is in a sling and I think maybe just like explains what happened but they
0: maybe they cut a scene out of what happened but it should have happened somewhere in this episode The weird thing is there are no cut scenes for this episode <laughs> There were cut scenes for the previous episode and there's cutscenes for the next episode, but there's no cutscenes for this episode. So I love the. I don't know if it's just they didn't they didn't they didn't want to show him injuring himself. Or I
1: love the bit. I love the bit where uh, Lindsay tells uh, George Michael that he should sue the su- school, and uh, Michael says, "All right, we're not going to sue anyone." I won't have my son abusing the legal system like the rest of this family. After all, we're going to need it for years to
0: come. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is, and that's the cap to the scene just before the narrator says that's when Michael decides to do the right thing, which you know takes us back to Maggie. Um, but before that, we get... Uh, there are many things that keep rotating around on the um, DVD menu, and one of them is this particular quote, and it starts with Tobias going, uh, the clumsy adolescence. It's a phase we've all been through. Except for me. I was like a cat. I always ended up on all fours. Everyone else kind of looks at him for quite a long beat. And then he goes, like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, obviously the implications are there about, you know, how Tobias ended up on all fours, uh, during his adolescence. Um, but I just I just love David Cross's kind of delivery of that line and especially the pause because everyone is kind of puzzled as to what he's talking about. And then I just love how he kind of justifies it with a little like a cat.
2: Yeah, this. I mean, it's kind of there's sort of that long running joke, I think, throughout the series that um, that he's probably a homosexual. Um, and there's, you know, the 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 storyline, I think I don't I guess it goes throughout the series of uh, Tobias and Lindsay's. Troubled marriage, and I think this was maybe one of the first first implications that maybe he was a homosexual,
0: or maybe that was the reason that uh, that their marriage was doomed. I'm just going to say in the pilot and in like the second episode, Lindsay actually says, you know, that he's gay, and then they kind of they just then go on to keep constantly implying it and kind of expanding on that joke. But anyway, we get back to the main driving plot, which is of course the court case, and we have Maggie and Michael, and uh, Michael. He, you know, he does the right thing, um, particularly when Maggie asks, do you think we have a case against this idiot family or what? And he says, I'm actually one of those idiots. I might even be the main idiot. And then he goes, well, not the main idiot, <laughs> but I am the idiot in charge. And I just kind of <laughs> love how he eventually gets to that point. And he, he says that he's Michael Bluth. And, of course, they 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 really lean very heavily, especially in the previous episode, on how Maggie has, like, smells things. Like she talks about, you know, she asks justice, does, you know, can you, can you like, is he as handsome as he smells? And she's like, I can smell right through you. And like, she, she keeps saying smell over and over again. And so I love that, you know, when she says, uh, I found out you were Michael Bluth in court and she says, I'm blind, Michael, not stuffed (laughs) up. And Michael goes, you smelled me. And I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus's delivery of, I smelled you, baby. (laughs) She's just such a kind of. I love how deep into this lie she is. That she's, she's. This is her excuse for you know being able to actually see. It, is that she pretends that she smells everything? But yeah, it's like such a funny joke.
2: She is so amazing, and I mean, this was uh, I guess several years after Seinfeld and several years before Veep. But uh, I, I just I wish that this character could have been more like more recurring or on the show more. I mean, she is she was so brilliant. Even the subtle touches like. Uh, her eye kind of crossing every once in a while um I mean she really yeah. like you said she really just played up the the blind the blind thing uh quite well
0: I mean obviously she'll return in a, a year's time although you know she'll tell Michael it was nine months um who's that foreshadowing but, yeah but i I think um I think uh, I think the reason that she couldn't come back after season two was she'd started the new adventures of old Christine all right so she was already on another show, so otherwise, I think they would have had her back as many times as they possibly could, <laughs> because you know she comes, she's here in a two- part episode, and when she returns, she returns in a two- part episode. Clearly, the writers must have like loved working with her. but this is where she reveals that the list he had was not the actual list, but it was merely a wish list of um, you know what the, they, they hoped. That, that, what the government were looking to get and obviously you know she she admits that um and then she says uh, you know you lie to me uh chariff cute story and michael goes i know that shalt not make up a name in vain which again i don't know why the Blues family are misquoting like bible stuff but it's just like just a weird little runner that goes on in this episode and i love that particularly the plane where she's where she's like um you know look at me and then when she starts to talk, she goes, "Are you actually looking at me?" Again, really playing up as if she is blind, and obviously uh, they decide that they're going to have one more drink um, at the bar, and uh, it ends as it did the previous time with Michael giving Maggie uh, a lift home.
2: But yeah, so I mean, you know, even after she admitted that the list was fake, um, the the scene too where uh, the line where she says something like. Um, uh, you know the thing that really gets to me is I keep hearing this Michael <laughs> Bluth is so <laughs> cute, uh, and then Michael says, "Well, well, I know Maggie Lizer is adorable." And then uh, if you look at Julie Louis-Dreyfus' face after he says that, I mean that's when she sort of like she has like this crooked smile and like her her eye kind of uh, her eyes kind of go cross uh, <laughs> real quick. Um, real subtle moment, but it's uh, it, it was hilarious and just it, it was my, I think my favorite scene with Julie Louis-Dreyfus in this. Uh, yeah this episode
0: um now in the next the next scene when we get to the morning after we get a, a like um a really great effect with the music which is uh david schwartz um has come up with a song which i think might be called beautiful day it i, I mean uh, i think that's what it's called because that seems to be the main lyric that plays over and over again um uh, but they have this song where, like, they they wake up and they you know they talk about how they can't have sex basically because um, you know he's got to be at the prison in half an hour to see his dad, and then obviously they have sex and you know they they start saying that I mean Maggie drops a hint here because she actually <laughs> says this is the second most unethical thing I've done, and then obviously they start talking about how it's going to happen again, and Michael asks, "Do you think it's going to happen again?" and Maggie says. You tell me. And then, of course, we immediately cut to them, uh, you know, post-coital again. And Michael goes, let's just assume it will happen again sometime. Um, And each time they pop back up, the music that plays kind of like slows down a little each time. And it's kind of like a subtle thing to kind of suggest that they're getting slowly out of energy. Oh,
1: no, I was supposed to be at the prison to talk to my dad a half an hour ago.
0: Let's just assume that it will happen again sometime. Right. They they have this weird exchange where uh, Maggie says, I'm trying to keep a man in prison. And Michael says, and that man happens to be my father.
1: Maggie is the one that misquotes the <laughs> Ten Commandments and says, "Uh, it's like the Ten Commandments says, uh, you know.
0: Well, it's like the Ten Commandments saying, you know, be true to thine
1: own self <laughs> and to thine own self.
0: And Michael finishes. Uh, be true. The... Yeah. Number seven. And of course this is when they they confess its their dirty little secret and of course you know a, that causes them to have one more it's go around. A good
1: example of Michael continuing to pursue bad situations despite himself like he does it with his family and <laughs> with multiple the with all the relationships he seems to have with whether it's with family or uh, romantic interests he tells himself he's going to get out but he continually goes back to these bad situations
0: yeah i mean i guess in this like in this case now this is something i discussed on the previous episode but i'll bring up here again if you watch um when maggie liza meets Cherith cute story um knowing that she's not blind she bumps into him and then you know they get into the conversation about you know begging for a drink and all this kind of stuff and you, then they start kind of getting into the flirting so it seems to me like in this particular case maggie liza deliberately sought out michael bluth um because obviously you know she can see um and so i don't know i don't know if he's fully to blame for i mean obviously there's a point at which and this whole scene you know kind of demonstrates that where he probably should have just got out um but you know he's he's not completely blameless in this like um you know, like, or it's not completely on him because she is actually the one who kind of tracked him down. Um, and you know, the fact that she, she gave him like the, um, the stuff to read knowing that he was Michael Bluth anyway, uh, because obviously this whole thing about, you know, her discovering in court when she smelled him, that's not true. So she gave that to him knowing he was Michael Bluth. So she's, she clearly is trying to do something here to kind of trap him, um, and at this particular point, like he, you know, he he doesn't know fully what it is. Uh, although uh, having discovered that he's on, you know, that she's on the opposition team, uh, he really shouldn't have pursued her any further. Um, you know, although he did the right thing by not reading the file and returning it.
2: I mean, I'm no lawyer. I'm no attorney, but it seems like she, it seems like she has more to lose by pursuing him as the the lead prosecutor, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't like. What does he have to lose yeah. by you know getting into a relationship uh, with the prosecutor? I mean, that inherently is not
0: illegal. Uh, not much.
1: Yeah, probably worst. No, worst could happen is that she uh, she gets taken off the case. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. It's she kind of does have the most to lose in this situation.
2: And what was her goal? What was her goal yeah. to this whole operation? So
0: you know, I mean, I it was I had a hard time kind of understanding what her goal was, given that she's basically been lying about her you know being blind because it helped her on the LSATs for like who knows how long like let's say at least 20 years i'm i'm guessing at this point that she kind of doesn't really she's not completely clear on how to win a case because we'll find out later on in the episode that she mostly seems to win cases by um getting sympathy <laughs> she doesn't seem to have like a a strong prosecutorial kind of like approach to anything um but before we get to that let's talk about um job's sleight of hand
1: <laughs> they don't call me a sleight of hand artist for nothing
0: as he as he tries to get approval from his father once more when he uh, switches out the file um, and you know we we get a flashback but this time from Job's point of view where we, we see how much of a sleight of hand artist he is as he tries to swap the files and he ends up dropping stuff all over the place um, and that's when he, he, like as he's doing that he kind of walks in at the point where he's talking about loving the Ten Commandments um, and you know, I love how they say, you know, Job says, Michael didn't want you to have it, Mr. Moral. And George and Lucille look at each other and they go, yeah, we did something right there. huh? And I, <laughs> like right in front of Job, they're basically admitting that they like Michael more than him. Uh, which, which I love. And then obviously we get a, a little bit of a uh, Barry's kind of, uh, Barry's sexuality also being kind of hinted at here where he talks about uh, having a date with a woman who works two jobs and we, we get a quick flash of his, um, uh, his mugshot. <laughs> you know, Lucille talks about how they've got a lot on us and then says you, which uh, again is foreshadowing for uh, what will come in actually the final episode of season three. Uh-huh. So it's foreshadowing quite a long way off. Um, but yeah, I think that's just something they planted and then they kind of paid off when they actually got, got around to it. Um and then obviously, you know, this is where Job asks, When was the last time that Lucille raised children? And she says, I've got two in the waiting room. And then of course, uh, you know, we we see an uh, Anyong and, and Buster kind of disagreeing. Uh Anyong has been kinda of taunting Buster. Now that he says more than just the word Anyong, <laughs> he's found a way to kind of successfully needle Buster. But I love that we get a um we get a flashback to before, like to the pilot, basically, but a scene that obviously wasn't in the pilot. When we see um, uh, Buster and and George Senior, and he is basically making it clear that after the retirement party, he was going to be kicking Buster out of the house. And he puts <laughs> he, he he ties the tie on um, on Buster, and he starts to kind of tie it a little too tight. And Buster says, "I can't breathe that, neither can I." <laughs> um, which which is weird because. Up until this point, we haven't really seen any kind of animosity between George Senior and Buster. He's just Buster. Obviously, he's close to Lucille, and George Senior just kind of doesn't really seem to think about him. You know, I mean, he he, he says nice things about him, like he's got the high fasting pants. He doesn't really seem to care that much about Buster. Um, I, I mean, I like that flashback because obviously it motivates Buster's storyline in this episode, which is essentially really stupid, um, <laughs> where he decides to become a a surprise witness for the other side um and his testimony is basically all about his mom but
2: what was also funny about that that flashback with uh George senior uh almost strangling Buster is that when they when they go back to the present uh they kind of there's a subtle if you watch uh, Tony Hale's performance there's a subtle um like uncomfortableness um as if he like it was kind of remembering being choked and uh, kind of like adjusted his collar a little bit uh, i thought that was just a nice little touch
0: i think yeah
1: uh the i think it can be uh, as far as George not showing any hostility towards Buster previously, I think it can be explained by the fact that for the most part we haven't seen George uh, we haven't seen George and adult Buster living together in the same house, which I can imagine yeah. would be like incredibly uh, irritating for uh, for for George Senior having this well, how old I is mean, Buster?
0: Uh, in this season, he's twenty nine. He's no, no, yeah. I lie. He's thirty. Yeah, he's having, thirty. He's thirty-one next year, and thirty-two for season three. Yeah,
1: have, having like this, like this grown man still living with you and your wife, even <laughs> if it is your son. Especially since it's Buster, and you know how attached he is to Lucille. I, I can, yeah. For a man like George Michael, I imagine that is incredibly uh, taxing.
2: That would be taxing for anyone. I, I would probably strangle Buster uh, at that point too. Prob
0: probably. <laughs> now we also get this whole thing about the you know the boxes of evidence um and barry barry decides to leave and said i I think i'm going to say that i signed myself out about 10 minutes ago george says you know i don't need my lawyer in prison which i think also had they they do a quick flash cut to the um to the mugshot again um and then he says we'll have joe break in (laughs) Uh, shows you how much he values job uh this is not the first time that he's asked job to break into a place because he asked him to break into the um the records office when we had kitty's first episode uh many many weeks ago um which of course he then farmed out to george michael which uh, ended with him being caught um and job here he says now i've got a wife i can't afford to get caught either and george says good point you might want to change out of that sweater Uh, So people just don't, uh, you know, approve of, uh, like, Job's kind of change in look, basically. Um, And this is the point at which um, the title of the episode kind of gets its meaning. um, As Maggie is met by Officer Kelly, um, and uh, he's got a surprise witness. Um, <laughs> he winks, but obviously Maggie can't see it. Although of course she really can. Um, and Michael says he'll take the dog and this is where he, dis- he I mean, it's, it's kind of in a scenes time where he'll decide to, um, to, to kind of be pretend to be blind and f- figure out what goes on in Maggie's, uh, life. But obviously this is where this will kind of lead to the important, um, revelation, but, uh, Uh, I love how it finishes where um, Maggie says, I'll see you in court, which, you know, um, again, it's kind of a hint as to what's going on. And Michael says, my dad's not going to put himself in prison for life. (laughs) I just love how he's kind of, we've moved to the point where he's he's accepted that Maggie is going to be the one to prosecute his father. And he, he kind of doesn't really care about that anymore. But yeah, so like, that's kind of the start of what will become a series of revelations for Michael. Um, And here we see (laughs) Job, who decides that he's gonna to have Tobias do the breaking in um and he actually calls Tobias the cat to um kind of get in his favor and kind of butter him up a little and you'll um, notice he's like he's he's
2: like I laying on the that. couch like Talk- a cat too he's sort of like on on his back and kind of stretches <laughs> out and uh, <laughs> yeah. he's very david cross is very agile in this episode. I don't know if he's I've ever seen him uh play such a physical performance. Um, but it was pretty great
1: job has a line yeah. where he says, um tells tobias uh sorry you couldn't be in prison with us the, the george was talking all about you and uh tobias yeah. just says i oh
0: i doubt that very much <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a, he knows really his quick... place in the family let's put it like that yeah. yeah i love yeah it's great and i, I love that he, he says you know um job's entire speech here where he motivates tobias to do something for him where he's like uh Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, he feels like you've been (laughs) sucking off this family for far too long. And if you don't start pulling your weight around here, it's going to be shape up or ship up. Which suggests that Job doesn't actually know (laughs) that saying. But I do just love the kind of sucking off this family, which is just such a weird turn of phrase. Um, And obviously Tobias says that he can't impress George Sr. And I (laughs) I love where Job's like, um, you know, he's, he's about to knock his socks off again. Which is, again, this is not true. You, you know, we all know that Job is constantly seeking George Sr.'s approval and he never gets it. And, you know, he talks about how he's going to break into the house and he goes, it's a tough job, it requires agility. And Tobias runs off and takes a couple of minutes and then kind of jumps on Job's back and he says, this kind of agility? <laughs> and, yeah, like you say, David Cross is very kind of agile in this episode. And I love Job kind of finishing the scene by saying, let's go, little man. <laughs> such a weird kind of thing um but yeah it's it's nice actually because this is i think probably the first time that i can think of in this this kind of this season so far because actually david cross has been absent from a number of episodes tobias has been absent from a number of episodes um sometimes they explain it sometimes they don't bother mentioning it but um so this is nice to see these two characters kind of interacting because this is you know up to this point probably the longest that they've um interacted for Um, in the whole show and then obviously this is where michael as the narrator tells us decided to see what life in maggie's world was like um and you know i love i love um jason bateman's kind of like very kind of exaggerated motions as he's blind where he's got his eyes closed and he he just keeps going okay all right all right okay (laughs) as as justice is I guess not really leading him anywhere, but he's just kind of pulling along. And it's you know, it's it's some some great kind of like physical stuff from everyone in this cast.
2: And he see, he seems to not notice that justice leads him like into oncoming traffic, and he's
1: just kind of <laughs> he's he's gonna keep doing it. See, uh, Jason pa- Bayman, he has some of the best aligned deliveries of a- any of the characters or actors in this entire show, despite the fact that of all of them, his character is. The most like quote unquote normal, but the fact that he's able to do so much with so little and such simple, like almost flat line deliveries, is amazing. Just like like you were saying, just him walking around. Oh, okay, all right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, it's the funniest thing.
2: His his like deadpan humor is a is a perfect compliment to. Sort of the over the top stuff that we get from Tobias and from Job uh, and from Buster especially, um, but you're yeah. right. It's, it's it's like deadpan monotone, but it's it it's just perfect as sort of the the quote unquote leader of the family. He's a lead idiot, isn't
0: he? He's the lead <laughs> idiot. Sorry, that's uh, <laughs> so uh, self described. Uh, and we we find out the surprise witness, of course, is Buster. Um, he lays out his demands. He wants immunity for him and his mom. And he wants his dad to stay in prison. And also, can you send Yong back to Korea? <laughs> Which Maggie Liza goes, huh? And then, you know, we get, we keep cutting back to um, Michael, you know, with um, with the justice kind of just getting, like you say, getting taken into traffic and kind of led all over the place. This is probably one of my favorite deliveries that Tony Hale <laughs> gives. When asked about, you know, if if George Sr. ever went overseas and he says... Um, she says, did you ever see him return from these trips with anything unusual? And Buster says,
2: he came back home once with a black statue with an erect penis. It stayed in our living room until my aunt objected.
0: I and love, I love how to... Tony Hale leans very... right into the microphone gets really close and <laughs> says it very kind of precisely. It's, like, You're it's so uh, scandalous.
1: You, yeah. I love yeah. the line right after that when Maggie asks, uh, what about business associates? And he says, I have none. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah uh yeah and they take away his grilled cheese before he reveals that you know they have they he knows where all the evidence is and uh it he reveals it as scenic view drive which of course is maggie lies as <laughs> um yeah. yeah that was buster's breaking point was uh taking away his grilled cheese yeah, they were touching me with yeah. the grilled cheese. Um, <laughs> and then this is where we 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 see a scene that, like this scene previously kind of appeared on the the, the, the on the next, uh, but it was slightly different and it was cut down a little bit. Um, and we see that Tobias, you know, is using his cat like agility in Maggie's house, um, and then Maggie comes home, and of course Tobias, concerned about her sense of smell, cloaks himself in her scent. <laughs> which is such a, he keeps spraying little spritzes of it and then taking a sniff and then spraying a little bit more, which is like a a nice bit of business from uh, David Cross. Um, and then this is where we, we cut to the, um, we cut to the vet's office and we find out that justice is blind. Um, which is, which is funny because, um, you know, like he, he says, it's, it's a bit cruel dressing up as a seeing eye dog. Um, and you know michael's like what are you talking about and all, that's like the end of the scene and when we come back he's like you know he's got a handle and everything and michael says come on boy and i don't know i don't know who the, like i don't know where they got this dog but he does this great thing of just going off the table and falling directly into the bin that's next to it and then michael just covers it up by saying maybe his peripheral isn't great but which is just such a kind of like a weird way of kind of rationalizing it um and then obviously, you know, the vet uh, makes it clear that um, that that she's been leading justice around. Um, and of course, Michael realises what we've known for basically half the episode, and that is that Maggie isn't blind. And the narrator explains to us that, you know, she pretended to be blind because she found it helpful in taking her LSATs. And we see the flashback where she basically cheats on the LSATs um, and... He continues by telling us it was a tremendous boon to her professional life, um, and she she submits a glass into evidence whilst dropping it, and it smashes. And the, the judge says, "Don't worry, you're so ahead." It's, which it's which,
2: fine, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I wonder. You know, I wonder if it. You know, I, I think not thinking about it more is that it does make a little more sense to uh, reveal to the audience before this episode that she's blind because it kind of. Um, I don't know. It makes it uh, the absurdity of what she's doing is funnier, knowing that she's faking it the whole time. And I think that if we had um, if the audience was uh, kind of going along with the ride um, with Michael and discovered it at this point, it wouldn't be as funny. All the things that she did um, to pretend to be blind and especially um, seeing David Cross or seeing Tobias earlier on, um, like kind of cat-like uh you know scrambling around her apartment while she's sort of walking through with a baseball bat i think knowing that she wasn't blind is actually funnier uh for the audience i
0: was gonna say actually the next scene is the point at which you know um they reveal that with tobias because um the narrator says (laughs) tobias was finding her an uncannily difficult blind girl to outmaneuver um and their cat gay, their, their game of cat and mouse continued until Michael sh- showed up to return justice, um, and then of course, this is where Maggie screams, "Is there some jackass in my bathrobe? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Tobias uh, sp- sprays her in the eye with um, the perfume, I think, and of course you know this is where she screams i can 't see um, but yeah I, I think actually it works because we've, we you know we're told that she's not blind, and then literally in the next scene, she gets blinded. <laughs> um so it's it's kind of a nice setup for like it's basically spending about 10-15 minutes setting up a joke and then kind of putting a different joke on top of it uh you know where she's she's kind of blinded um and then of course everyone gathers at the courthouse and um, barry sells <laughs> barry barry says something smells wonderful. And of course he's looking at Lucille and then Tobias goes, well, thank you <laughs> because, uh, would that I could say I wore it to impress you, but no, I'm afraid it's merely a cloaking agent from a sadly blunderous afternoon. Um, which I just kind of love. Um, you know, and then obviously we get a bit of tension between Buster and, um, Buster and George. Um, and of course, Lucille thinks that he's been eating cheese, which is correct. Cause he had, a, he had some grilled cheese earlier. Um, so that's how well Lucille knows him. Uh, she really she can tell what, what you know what he's been eating by his moods um, and then we get a uh, we get the the finish up of the Shirley storyline um, you know where she addresses the crowd and George Michael is going to confront her um, and he sees his father and he kind of hides um, and of course Michael. Um, hides when he sees Maggie, and just as they're both hiding, the Ten Commandments, um, you know, as advocated by Lindsay, are pulled up away, and both George Michael and Michael see each other, um, and George Michael, you know, kind of says that he's coming down to see the family, and then obviously, you know, Michael asks, well, he says, why don't you go help that handicapped friend of yours? And Michael says... She kind of lied to me. And then Michael says, I was recently lied to myself. It's kind of odd. This seems like a kind of a, like a weird little parallel going on where obviously George Michael knows that maybe is lying to him about, you know, the BS that she she has as Shirley Funke. Uh But everyone else doesn't realize that. So he's the only one essentially in on that lie. Um, and obviously Michael has now discovered that Maggie was lying. But her name is, of course, Maggie Liza so (laughs) he should have (laughs) Ah. figured that out from her name um and she even said maggie lies her ass off was like literally this kind of second or third thing she said and then you know when he doesn't laugh he's she's like she's like one person laughed at that and i don't know why i keep saying it so she's kind of already kind of confessed like when she met him straight away um but yeah so we have this parallel where kind of george michael has been lied to by a disabled person (laughs) and so has michael and then obviously you know, George Michael is kind of wondering, you know, if it's it's so hard to know what the right thing to do is. And Michael says, I know it's not like there's some list of rules handed down from on high. And of course, that is just as the Ten Commandments are sailing over their head, uh, which is a great kind of um, it's just a great joke. You know, I didn't
2: pick up on Maggie's last name. Being lizer as a kind of a play on words there it's it's those
1: subtle touches it's the subtle touches that make the show so brilliant. um I can do you one better. I didn't make the connection between justice is blind and the dog hey. being blind,
0: <laughs> and you also didn't know that Amy Polo was married to Will Willownette, so well uh, you know, it's, just, I... <laughs> oh, it's a whole bunch of revelations for you, isn't it It is uh, you're blowing my mind right now. Uh, yeah, so, and then of course we get one of the wonderful scenes where, um, Michael sets out to expose Maggie in court. Um, and of course, this is where Michael makes a really weird kind of speech.
1: Your honour, the purpose of a court of law is to find the truth, which is why witnesses swear on this. After all, they say justice is blind. Surely she has enough sight to catch the truth before it hits her in the face.
0: Which is such a weird setup. Uh, but then of course as maggie objects (laughs) michael throws the bible at her face uh knocking her down and um you know of course we get a quick flashback to maggie being blinded um i love how michael gets taken down by the bailiff and he says to he says to um to barry that was my plan what do you got (laughs) it's just like that wasn't much of a plan but Oh, it's such a funny moment where he just throws the Bible at her eyes. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's such I think a, Barry such a revealed weird. earlier on that he didn't even re- he didn't even read the case, did he?
2: Yeah, he, <laughs> said, he from, said he said uh, he hadn't even
0: the read because because the last episode was all about the um, the plea deal. Um, right. which seems to have been dropped in this, but uh, Barry didn't actually even read the list of evidence they had. <laughs> so <laughs> he hasn't read anything. Basically, he's been outdated, um, <laughs> as we've seen a few times. He's such a terrible lawyer.
1: <laughs> such <laughs> yes. a terrible lawyer. Barry is like Saul Goodman if Saul Goodman was a terrible lawyer.
0: But anyway, so we we get the end of the Shirley K storyline. I'm assuming she dies of BS at some point, <laughs> um, because she you know maybe immediately as George Michael decides to kind of expose the lie, she says this is the man who inspired me, George Michael Bluth. He's the one responsible for the new ramps at our school. He will carry on my legacy and put an end to BS. And George Michael, rather than doing the right thing, he jumps in and just says, "Surely
2: can beat this thing. No
1: more BS. No more BS.
0: Which is, you know, such a kind of great end to that kind of storyline. Um, you hit on it
2: earlier. You hit on it earlier with the parallels, uh, George, uh, George Michael and... Uh, Michael, Uh, in this case, we're seeing George Michael being easily manipulated
0: uh, by maybe (laughs) uh, very
2: much like uh, Michael's being manipulated by
0: uh, Maggie. And speaking of that manipulation, it happens again when, um, you know, Maggie's been kicked off the case and Michael, you know, goes to see her after everything. And, um, you know, he he says that he thought she was lying And, um, you know, she admits that she's been doing the blind act for years. Um, And, you know, (laughs) she decides she's going to go for, I was struck by the Bible and it restored my sight. (laughs) Um, And uh, obviously Michael says, originally I was looking for something completely uncomplicated. And Maggie Maggie says, yeah, me too. Uh, Forget this. This is over. Um, And then, of course, (laughs) Maggie ends the scene saying, they're just two people staring at each other, fully exposed in a court of law, uh, which of course leads to them having sex one final time. Um, the consequences of which might come back to haunt them in nine months' time. Um, so with this scene, it seems... Um,
2: it was a little confusing because the scene prior, um, George Michaels being... Or, I'm sorry, when Michael threw, threw, had thrown the Bible at Maggie's head, uh, getting escorted out. Now where now Michael and Maggie are talking again, and she's not doing um, her blind shtick. It seems like there was something missing in between that. Like, how did they get to that point? Because Maggie was temporarily blinded. Um, She could have kept going on with the ruse uh, at that point. Um, So I don't understand why she decided to kind of give up on that.
0: I mean, I guess maybe because now Michael knows, and he could, if he wanted, you know, he could tell other people, he could expose her lie, if that was advantageous, you know, to his, to the the case, or, I don't know, I mean, to me, I think it's just that, you know, she realized that she's going to a lot of effort, (laughs) basically, you know, having this dog that's kind of blind and leading him around, and, you know, even though it is winning her cases, I think she just kind of realized that, um, it it wasn 't worth the hassle that 's what it seems like to me um and you know being hit in the face by the bible seems like the perfect time to kind of um, you know claim something and I know obviously yeah she 's she's legitimately blind, which you would think that maybe this is the time to play that up, but I guess now that she 's actually been blind, maybe she realizes that it 's an inconvenience and i don 't know i it's it's really it's really weird because um you know, I, I just, uh, yeah, it, it does seem like something's slightly missing, but to me it just kind of makes sense that she she kind of just chooses this as the point to give up on this whole like blind act thing.
1: Okay, I was going to say, uh, this is towards the end of the episode, so maybe there was a connecting scene between the two, but uh, it might have been cut for time.
0: Uh, yeah, like I said, there's no cut scenes on the DVD, so... I don't know, maybe something was written and they never bothered filming it, because... You know, they were just, you know, this second half of a two part and maybe they just wanted to get to the end, um, you know, as much as as much as they can. Um, but it's funny because, you know, um, Michael throws the book at um, Maggie's face. And obviously in the Captain Hook, which was, you know, first brought <laughs> up in the previous episode, throw the uh, he, he appeared. Well, he now he's now he actually the the lyrics to the song are Judge, won't you throw the book? at the pirates and that's that's kind of where we always get cut off yeah so he he asks the judge to throw the book and then in this one he actually does throw a book um so obviously there's some kind of weird book throwing court thing going on uh with the rest of development
1: we see the book is uh the book is symbol of michael's own insecurities and by throwing it, he rids his soul of, uh, of his own hang-ups and is able to move on as a better, more enlightened person.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in, in the trial of Captain Hook, he was the prosecutor, and Maggie's the prosecutor this time, so. Uh, but yeah, obviously, you know, Michael and, and Maggie, they have sex one more time, and then uh, <laughs> Injustice just kind of um, bumps into the door, trying to follow Maggie, which I think is like a funny way to end the episode. Uh, and then we get the on the next, and of course Barry has the... Uh, the t- he <laughs> says that he he gets a sign from God, he'll obey his will and lead a good life, and then he sees that the Ten Commandments have been dropped on his car, and he goes to hell with this then. Um, and my then we end the, with a really... My favourite is yes, it, <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a really odd, oddly framed thing, because it's like, framed as if it's through like a camera that's got like a timecode and everything that's got the frame around, and... It says that Maggie is replaced with a new less generous prosecutor, though we never see who that is. And Buster says, I was made to understand there were grilled cheese sandwiches here. Um, But I I don't know. It's weird because that's just framed so oddly um, compared to the rest of the episode. But that's basically the end of the the Shirley storyline. It's the end of Maggie for the moment. Um, she, She will return in a year's time Uh, In terms of broadcast,
1: surely kind of comes back in the beauty pageant.
0: Yeah, but she comes back as surely Beaky, not surely Fionke. So it's a different alter ego for maybe. (laughs) Um, Who I feel would do better if she just spent a lot less time kind of putting her effort into all these kind of weird schemes. If she just kind of applied herself, I think she could do quite well. But uh, I don't know, she wants to try and scam people out of $500. Which doesn't seem like a lot of, you know... I don't know. It seems like a lot of effort for that particular thing. I, I don't know how much the wheelchair cost, but... And
2: um, maybe he was doing this little scam with uh, as Shirley... Was that, that was in front of the courthouse, too, right? Is there yes. any explanation as to why she t- chose to do that there?
0: No. Is it just to kind really. of keep all the cast together? I think it's just... Yeah, I think it's just that the... That's kind of like the location that they were filming on, and so obviously that's where. Because in the previous episode, it was at the school. Um, oh, okay. You get so, three sets yeah. per episode. You got to find a
1: way yeah. to use all of
0: them. <laughs> it was a low budget show. Is there anything else that you that we you think we need to cover in this episode? Just something I've always
1: wondered about. Uh, in a kind of in a stealth off, who do you think would uh, would win, Tobias or or Buster? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, Buster is good at basically staying still in one place, isn't he, and blending in. So whereas whereas Tobias has his cat like agility, so those are two very different skills. I think you know, Buster is better at staying stationary.
2: I was gonna say yeah, Buster so. could
0: play like a lamp or something, and <laughs> I think I don't think anybody would even notice that he was what he was there. Let's go to the plugs then. So I'll start with uh... Adam, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, Sure. So
2: I am on the Seat Fillers podcast. We're a podcast centered around the Oscars. Uh, we talk about the Oscars even when nobody else is. Um, check us out. We're on <laughs> iTunes, Google Play, uh, theseatfillers.com. Uh,
1: check us out. Is that your tagline for the show? It's, yeah, it, should it should
0: be. It's our. It's my elevator pitch. <laughs> Uh, okay, and Trevor, do you have any podcasts you wish to plug? Uh, I do indeed, Darren. Um,
1: you can uh, listen to me and uh, some of my other podcasting friends play uh, D&D together on They See Me Rollin', which is tons of fun. Uh, adventures, goofs, uh, uh, lots of innuendos. It's uh, got something for everyone. Uh, and... Uh, Listen to me and another host from that podcast, Jody Doyle, uh read through every book in uh Terry Pratchett's Discworld series on the podcast Ankh pork Public Radio. Uh it's tongue <laughs> It's uh it just rolls off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue. I have no idea
2: what you just said. Both
1: uh give those give those some listens if either of those two subjects pique your interest.
0: Okay. Uh, well, thanks to both of you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having us on. It's This has been wonderful. Thank you, Darren. It's always tons of fun to be on one uh, of your projects. On-, on the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, uh, my guests will be Edwin Davis and Jesse Cooper, and we'll be talking about who they think the best man is uh, for the job, or the job, depending on... How you want to pronounce that name? Uh, as Job decides that he's going to stay married to his wife, and we also get to meet uh, Doctor Fuegenkay's one hundred uh, percent good time natural family band solution, uh, which is a name that I said a number of—I'll be saying a number of times in that episode—and the narrator will be saying a number of times in that episode. Uh, but it's always fun to say, um, you know, because there's no "i" in Timo Cell. At least not where you think. So thanks to everyone for listening. And otherwise, goodbye.
2: Annyeong. Bye.